Welcome to Econ Talk, part of the Library of Economics and Liberty. I'm your host, Russ Roberts, of George Mason University and Stanford University's Hoover Institution. Our website is econtalk.org, where you can subscribe, find other episodes, comment on this podcast, and find links and other information related to today's conversation. Our email address is mail at econtalk.org. We'd love to hear from you. Today is March 14th, 2012, and my guest is Don Boudreau of George Mason University. Don, welcome back to EconTalk. Good to be here. Our topic for today is debt, particularly the national level uh, and particularly focused on the U.S., although we may bring in some issues related to debt around the world. But we want to try to get at what is a very complicated issue, which is often called the burden of the debt. Is there a burden of the debt in the future? Some people say that when the United States borrows money today and pays it back down the road, as long as the bonds are bought by Americans, the phrase we often hear is we owe it to ourselves and therefore there's no debt burden. There's no burden of the debt on future generations. Uh, a lot of people find that unintuitive and we're going to see – talk about whether that's true or not. Um, and we're, we're going to draw on uh, some writing of Paul Krugman and also James Buchanan, uh, I, I expect, in, in talking about the different views of, of debt. So I want to start with a family, a family that goes into debt to buy a house. Uh, is there a burden uh, of that debt in the future? What's, what's sacrificed and what's gained I think is, is useful Again, a lot of people argue that that's a bad analogy for debt at the national level, but I want to start with the family level, the personal level, because I think it's a useful way to to uh, set the debate and discussion. So, uh, so when a family borrows money to go into debt and goes into debt to say buy a house <coughs> or to have a lot of fun, um, is there a burden? What are the what are the costs and benefits to the family? Of course, there's a burden. Um- uh, there's a cost. Um, Jim Buchanan, we sh- shouldn't get into it here because it gets way too esoteric. Jim Buchanan himself distinguished between the the uh, subjective cost and the objective cost. Uh, but speaking just in plain language, uh, when you uh, undertake a project uh, that you have to pay for, whether you pay for it out of current income or whether you pay for it out of future income, you have to pay for it. You have to give up something uh, at some point to pay for whatever it is you you consume today. Uh, let's recognize at the very start that just because something has a cost doesn't mean it's not worthwhile. Everything, almost everything, has a cost. Uh, so to say something is costly doesn't mean it's not worthwhile to do. Uh, let's also make the related point that just because something is financed with debt does not necessarily mean that that decision to finance it with debt is irresponsible. Uh, there are many good reasons for financing things with debt instead of out of current income. Buying a home is you know, typically uh, regarded as uh, one of the more responsible things to uh, finance with debt. So there's nothing there's, – there's, there's no moral opprobrium uh, that attaches universally to debt. So let's talk – Public about- or private. So let's talk about the uh, uh, that family. So if I go into debt and I borrow uh, $250,000 to buy a house 
and I'm going to presume that I have expect to have the wherewithal to pay that back. An interesting case, and, and the be, mortgage lender expects it too. That's yeah. the point, right? Yeah. So, when you, a private individual, until this recent um, uh, dysfunctional era of U.S. mortgage markets uh, that is sort of coming to an end, may not we don't know what's going to happen. But historically, if you if you wanted to borrow a lot of money, uh, your ability to borrow was limited by the expectation your ability to pay it back. Of course, things can happen that are unexpected. Uh, inflation is one. Uh, losing your job is another. There, there's all kinds of uh, reasons that you might have trouble paying that debt back. But the mortgage lender knows that and is, takes that into account. It's part of the reason they have to be compensated with interest, which is clearly one of the costs at the personal level of borrowing money. You have to pay back more than you than you started with. Uh, and at different times, that burden is going to be uh, different because of different interest rates. And inflation will change what actually happens. You have an expected payment in terms of what you're going to have to give up in consumption. It may turn out to be different if inflation is, is different than is expected, which it often is. But if I'm going to go and borrow that $250,000, uh, the, the lender expects me to be able to pay it back. Now, what that allows me to do, what does that allow me to do? It allows you to transfer future income uh, uh, into the present, in, right. in effect. You and the lender both uh, make an estimate. Obviously, it has some amount of risk associated with, with it. Uh, but you and the lender make an estimate that your future earnings uh, are will be sufficiently large uh, that your lack of liquidity today, your lack of cash today, uh, should not be a barrier to you uh, in, uh, buying this asset or buying this consumption item, however you classify it today. Uh, so you're, in effect, telling the lender, look, I'm going to make this future income. I'd like you to advance me that future income today, and I will return it to you with interest in the future. And the lender makes a similar assessment. says, I believe that you will have sufficient future income. I know that I, I believe I know well enough that you will have that future income, so I will advance you that future income uh, on your promise to repay me. So it allows... Going into debt allows uh, us to transfer income from our future uh, into the present. Now, let's take an example that's different from a house. Now, the house, by the way, is uh, the collateral. It's the it's the insurance policy that the that the lender has that things might go awry, and of course, the <clears throat> value of that collateral is uncertain, which we're seeing right now. Sometimes it turns out to be less than what was borrowed ex post. But ex ante, it's not going to be generally if things are working uh, as as they should. But let's say I, I go out and instead of borrowing $250,000 to buy the house, instead I borrow $250,000 and I throw – with the house's collateral. I own a house mm -hmm. and I go to the bank and, and I own it free and clear. <clears throat> and I go to the bank and I say I'd like to borrow $250,000 called a line of credit or an equity loan because I have equity in the house. And I'm going to um, – Take that money and I'm going to throw a party for a bunch of, of my friends, uh, 250 – a heck of a party mm -hmm. for – may it be a lot of friends. And I'm going to spend $250,000. It's pretty clear what I've done in that case, which is? You've spent a lot of future income to have a really big party today. You know, as, as subjectivists, we can't say for sure absolutely that that was – wrong. I can't get into your mind if you do that. But most people looking at that can make a, a, a fairly um, non-controversial 
uh, statement that you're behaving irresponsibly. You're spending $250,000, you know, assuming that your income is roughly what it is. If you're Bill Gates and you're spending $250,000, that's one thing, but you wouldn't have to borrow the money if that were the case. Well, I, I'm going to disagree with you. I, yeah. I don't think, I don't think there's anything irresponsible about it. I'm just, I've decided, and I, again, maybe this is the Buchanan <laughs> distinction, but this is subjective on my part. I've decided I would rather have a lot of fun now yeah. and a lot less fun later. Well, at, 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 okay, let me concede. At the individual level, there is no yeah. way we can say this is. There's no way an outside observer can say it was. It was good. Some people do behave irresponsible. You wait, may wake up in the morning after your I party. I regret it. Even if you had so a great time, years, if you had a great time, now, you may think, "Boy, I wish I wouldn't have spent all my, you know, two hundred fifty thousand dollars of my future income in order to have a one night party." Uh, but you're right. There's no way, at, at least at the private level, one adult can second guess the decisions of it. Yeah. And the only reason I gave that example is that it's pretty clear there's a burden. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you will, you you will. You, I pay a price for that. Yes, I, it may be worth it. It may not be worth it. You're suggesting it seems unlikely it's worth it. I I agree with you in the sense that most people don't do that. Yeah. at our income levels. But my point if is, if your is child that did that, I'd stop them. Yeah. Maybe uh, depends how old they were. But the point is, is that you would never want to say, well, it's only a it's only a loan, so it's it's free to me, right? Yeah. Uh, a child actually. You know, one of the fun things about uh, child raising is that, you know, when you go to the grocery and you give them this little piece of plastic and they give you all these bags of groceries, that looks like magic. Mm -hmm. And you explain to them, well, it's not so magic. They go and take stuff. That this Giving them the card gives them the right to take a lot of stuff out of my bank account. Mm -hmm. Oh, it's not free. Looks free. Looks like you just pass the card through this magic yeah. device, the scanner. You know, my card gets kind of warm after a while because I've been running it through too many times and yeah. – uh, so when you go out and you borrow $250,000 to throw a great party, the costs are in the future. The benefits are today. The costs are in the future. All you've done is transfer future benefits into current benefits, mm -hmm. which means you have lower benefits down the road because not only do you have to pay back the 250000 but you have to pay it back with mm -hmm. interest because you've had access to the money. You might die. You might not keep your job and keep your promise. So along the way, the lender is going to require – both collateral typically and a premium for letting the, you use their money. Right. And, 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 and in a world of inflation, a, a premium to for the lender to bear their, their, the, risk. the risk of potentially higher than expected inflation. Meaning uh, when you pay back the money, it might not buy as much as it did before. Yeah. And so the lender does want to get paid back. And if the lender thinks that he's going to get paid back, or it's going to pay back in dollars that are worth less than he uh, loaned, he's going yeah. to attach an inflation premium. Yeah. To the, to the interest. In this example, and I, and, I, and I don't want to get ahead of you, but uh, it's important to point out here that uh, uh, the, the person who pays for your party, in, 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 in common sense, the person who pays for your party, no one would say it's the bank. Yeah. No one would say it's uh, the bank's depositors. It's you. Yeah. Uh, and you don't escape that payment just because the money advanced to you today to buy your party paraphernalia and food and drinks uh, uh, comes from a third party. You know you have to repay it, and so the burden is on you to repay it. And the fact that you don't – that burden doesn't become manifest on you until sometime in the future does not mean it is in any way a lower cost to you than if you pay for it out of $250,000 that you had sitting in your bank account. In both cases, you pay for it. Yeah, and I want to add another twist, which I think will come in handy when we try to generalize what generalizes 
and what doesn't in the national debt case. Uh, the fact that I can push the cost to the future rather than today is tempting. Mm -hmm. Now, part of that temptation is rational because I might not be here when it's time to pay it back. Of course, the bank knows that makes it – that's why there's collateral, right? Um, and, 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 and a premium – And a premium uh, interest premium way. above the pure time preference aspect. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, but it's always tempting to push off costs in the future for benefits today. And as adults, we, we try to learn that. Our, our children struggle to learn that. Our children – Children in general want uh, benefits today and costs tomorrow and have trouble putting aside money mm -hmm. for the future. As adults, we have had some experience with that, and we realize that that's a response can be irresponsible, immature, whatever you want to call it. But inside of us, uh, benefits today and costs tomorrow is, has a, a tremendous appeal um, for obvious psychological reasons. Yeah, evolutionary reasons probably. Yeah, too. right. Yeah. And so you've got that uh, urge – to borrow money, and the marketplace tempers that urge. It, it, it forces you to pay a premium, as we've been talking about. And if you mess up and you buy something like an extravagant party, as fun as it is, it turns out not to be as much fun as going uh, 20 years of, of living badly to pay off the loan. You then learn that that was a bad deal. Mm -hmm. Ex ante, it seemed like a good idea. But that is before the fact, after the fact, turned out not to be turn out so well. And as you grow up, you learn – to try to anticipate those feelings of regret and consequences. And, and I, I would argue that's what growing up is. Uh, that's, to a large extent, what an, a key part of being an adult. Uh, do you want to say anything more about well, the Well, I mean, just, just let's, let's reinforce it. Everyone knows that, you know, in spite of our protestations about the sanctity of subjectivism, uh, which, which I agree with. The sanctity uh, of what? Subjectivism, uh -huh. you know, and, and we can't second-guess third part, uh, you know, another Other people's preferences, preferences and, and, and behaviors. Yeah. Uh, everyone knows. I mean, the world is full, at least the industrial world is full of a lot, a lot of people who have credit card debt that they wish they didn't have, that they now regret having. That the uh, toys they accumulated, the yeah, TVs or yeah. the cars didn't and, bring and, as and much regret, pleasure. Not just in the sense of they wish they could have gotten these things for free. We all wish we can get what we consume for free. But regret in the sense that, uh, boy, I wish I had more self-discipline yesterday or last year and would not have borrowed the money for whatever it is I bought so that I wouldn't have this credit card debt hanging over me today. Uh, and, and we all understand the temptation to consume now and delay uh, uh, the cost, cost yeah. until to the future. And, you know, modern credit institutions allow us to do that, although, as you point out, the interest rates do temper that, that, uh, that proclivity. And the flip side – you started to say it actually because it's such a, a useful phrase. Uh, the flip side is is delay gratification. Instead yes. of saying yeah, I yeah, want yeah. the fund now and I'll pay for it later, what savings is all about as opposed to borrowing. What savings is all about is saying there's stuff I want. I, I can't have it right now. I could, but I'm worried about the consequences of that. So I'm going to delay my gratification, have it when I'm ready to pay for it and the costs are not as high. We're both parents, and, 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 and I'm sure the case is true not only for you and me, but for every parent. No parent has any trouble teaching his child to uh, enjoy things now. We don't have to say, no, 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 no Junior, <laughs> you want to consume, you want to have more fun now. You want to have more fun now. Uh, part of what parents teach children is to delay gratification or, or, or the, the, the importance of on many occasions, of delaying gratification. It would be a very odd little human being indeed who uh, 
uh, didn't uh, who didn't have to be taught that by parents or some guardians. There aren't many frugal children. No, it's just not natural. Yeah. yeah. So, um, I just got to add just a footnote. I, I think one of the great uh, lessons of time management is the importance of understanding the difference between important and urgent. Uh, there's a lot of urgent things that are not important, mm -hmm. and uh, if we only do the urgent things, we don't end up having time for the important things. And yeah, um, yeah, uh, absolutely. So let's now let's turn to the national level and let's ask: Do these lessons that we have been uh, and implications that we've been drawing for debt do they apply when a country goes into debt? When a nation? Oh, I should, we should be careful. I, I want to use the word a government, uh, not a nation. Mm -hmm. When a government uh, borrows money, spends more than it takes in in revenue, and uh, fi there's different things, of course, government can finance with debt, and we could debate the import the um, uh, with the appropriateness of of some expenditures versus others. So we could talk about uh, in a, a, a war that threatens the the very essence of a country's survival. Uh, whether that's a good thing to borrow money against, uh, whether it's to have a party at the national level, whether that's a good thing, transfers to special interest groups, infrastructure, which in general would have a future benefit that would stretch over time. Assuming the bridges aren't to nowhere. Right. Yeah. As long as the bridges are to somewhere, the bridges, and they're bridges that the private sector wouldn't build very well. So we can talk about a, a range of government activity, and, and I think the extremes would be um, – at one end, payments to friends, meaning special interest groups such as farm subsidy payments or, to my mind, worse, building things that are not productive. That is the use of real resources to, to – uh, uh, which often involves payments to friends. So the people who build the bridges to nowhere uh, benefit, mm -hmm. but you're not just giving them a check. You're actually getting them to pour concrete and, mm -hmm. and, and use up real resources. And at the other end, uh, an attack on a country that uh, its very survival is at stake and goes into debt to to finance the war expenditures. So let's talk to start with about uh, differences, if any, uh, between the case that we just talked about at a family level versus the national level. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, I think that there are a lot of uh, – a lot of similarities, a lot of things that are identical. Not everything is identical. Uh, when you make a private decision to borrow, uh, you're not imposing a cost on anyone other than yourself or you know, perhaps your immediate family, but we can regard unless that you, as one unit. Unless you lie about your income or ability to pay it back, you could impose costs on other people. Right, but, then, but, e but even but, there, you have you know, you, your, your, cre your credit rating – uh, suffers if you're Correct. if if you are if you're found out of uh, falsifying a document. Uh, so there are a great deal of similarities. The analogies between private and public debt hold in a lot of uh, ways, uh, but there are differences. So the, you just gave one that's important. I think it's a, it's, a, it, 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 it's a it's a vitally important. It's it confuses, a vitally important difference because it confuses. I think a lot of the discussions we'll see, but yeah. Uh, so the first difference is that in the case of private – let's call it personal debt. In the mm -hmm. case of personal debt, um, I make the decision and I bear the costs. <clears throat> and in the case of the public debt, 
there's a whole bunch of different people are going to be involved in that decision. It's not just one decision-making unit. Mm-hmm. And the costs and benefits are going to fall on different people. We'll get to, we'll get into that. What other differences do you think are important? Oh, I think those are the main. I think that that that's that's the main difference. You have this. You have a a a a a, 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 a lot of a, I don't know the right word. The decision making process to go into debt and the decision making process for oh, who will repay and that determines who will repay the debt and how it will be repaid is very different in both circumstances. And we lose sight of that when we talk about the nation going into debt. We lose sight of that when we speak about, when we speak as if we have one big collective mind choosing to incur debt today and being responsible for repaying that debt in the future. Uh, so and actually a related difference then is is that, uh, or well, I'll just leave it at that for now. Yeah, so the one difference I think that that's, um, there's one other difference I think that's important, and this certainly is going to be an argument that the um, justifiers of borrowing are going to invoke. Um, so like many other issues in economics, unfortunately, this particular one we're talking about has ideological um, and methodological uh, baggage alongside it. So historically, and by historically, I mean over the last 80 years or so, uh, people who want government to be bigger typically are going to be people who are associated with a Keynesian view of macroeconomics mm-hmm. and a view that borrowing is overly uh, feared, that we should be less fearful of borrowing. Mm-hmm. Those of us like myself, yourself, who like to see a smaller, more limited government tend not to be Keynesians and tend to be um, fearful or perceive the cost differently than than the other side. So I, I want to get that on the table to start with because we're going to – it's easy to talk about this as if it's a, a pure economics conversation, but there's political and ideological, I think, baggage alongside that we should be honest about, and I, I want to try to bring it out on on both sides. But to give due to those on the other side of our view, the people who say that when government borrows, it, it's not as bad or it's cheaper or it's more justifiable than at the personal level. So public debt is very different than private debt. One of the arguments they make that I think is correct is that I as an individual cannot borrow perpetually. I cannot live beyond my means uh, in general. My There may be moments when I borrow, for example, to, to pay the ha- buy the house, but then I'm going to pay it back. And mm-hmm. it would only be an unexpected outcome that would allow my net borrowing to be other than zero, meaning I lose my job or whatever. Right. So I can rearrange my consumption. Uh, but over time, you can't consume more than you More than I produce, produce. other than through good fortune or bad yeah. luck yeah. on yeah. one side or the other. And that means – and the reason is, is that the lender – you know, is that when I'm 80 years old and retired, it's a lot harder to borrow – uh, money than if I have a nice full-time job. And then what's going to give you a 30-year mortgage when you're 80? Correct. Yeah. Uh, well, you might uh, well. if it's short and small enough and you have other assets. But in general, it's a lot harder. And the, and, and the reason is, is two reasons. One is that you die. And the second is because you die, your, your lifetime earnings pattern has a typically an inverted U-shape. That when you're younger, your, mm-hmm. in, your earnings climb. And as you get older, mm-hmm. they fall. Part of what borrowing allows you to do is smooth the consumption smooth over That's that right. rather than 
living poorly and then living well and then living poorly. Most people, for human psychology reasons, just the nature of our of our satisfaction in life, want it to be a smoother stream and not as jerky. So, but that's different at the national level. Um, I'll I'll concede that I'm not sure how relevant that is actually for the for the thrust of the uh, arguments that are made uh, to excuse gargantuan public borrowing. I like that term gargantuan. It's a nice, a nice, <laughs> yeah, a neutral term, Don. Um, but I think it's relevant in the following sense: <clears throat> a and we'll, in a minute, we'll give some examples, and we'll we'll, we'll see whether it's re- how relevant it is or how irrelevant. But certainly, if um, if a nation is productive, meaning if it has good institutions and good laws, and its people are innovative, as the United States typically is, and our our productivity is growing over time, our, our product is growing. We have productivity, and as a result, it's possible. May not be desirable, but it's certainly possible at the national level, as it is not at the individual level, that the U.S. could perpetually, the U.S. government certainly could spend more than it consumes, somewhat akin. And I hate to bring this up, but it's I think useful. I say I hate to bring it up because it can end up just another level of difficulty in the conversation. But certainly, a nation can run a trade surplus over a long period of time, meaning it can consume more than you mean it, a trade t- trade deficit. A, a trade deficit. Sorry. A capital account surplus, if, if mm-hmm. nations want to invest in uh, the United States by having a stake in our assets, if those assets are productive and growing, we can at any point in time consume more than we produce as a country. Um, it's not debt, as you have written many, many times, and I agree. I've written a few times, but we certainly agree on this. Yeah. It doesn't have to be debt at the trade deficit. It's not debt by identity, that's level. for certain. Yeah. What? It's not debt by identity. Right. Um, but that's one way in which a nation can consume more than it produces year in, year out even. And I think Great Britain did it for decades uh, over its history, maybe over, no, a, century, the United over States a century. Is, the United States has done it for nearly, you know, with a few relatively rare exceptions for 400 years. Yeah. You know, what is today the United States? So, um, and certainly then if we're talking about – let's away, move away from the trade issue and talk about public spending, the U.S. government – doesn't mean it's desirable, mm-hmm. but the U.S. government can year in, year out, uh, spend more than it takes in in uh, revenue as long as the world finds that investment in U.S. government debt to be attractive and there's confidence that the U.S. government is going to be able to pay back those, those promises and keeps those promises, that when a nation – uh, reaches us either a size of debt or a problem with its inner economy and tax revenue that it can't do that that's when you have a default risk and um, but in theory mm-hmm. unlike an individual certainly a nation can borrow perpetually if it does not over borrow and stays within its ability to repay agree or disagree? Uh, well yes of course <laughs> Uh, but the same can be said of a corporation. Yes, that's so true. So it's not there's nothing special about in the way that 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 you've laid it out here. There's nothing special about a government. Now the government does have a special um, ability that private corporations don't have in the modern world. And that is, the government has a monopoly over modern governments in, in, in today's world. Today's governments uh, have a uh, sovereign monopoly power over the money supply. 
that gives them uh, an added attractiveness to borrowers. Excuse me, to lenders. To lend- well, it gives them a special. If if I know that you have, uh, if you tell me that Uncle Sam is just giving you Russ Roberts the, the exclusive monopoly power to print as much or as little dollars as you want, I'm more likely to lend to you because your risk of default is a lot lower. If if your income doesn't rise. Um, uh, then you can always revert to the printing press to pay. Yeah, me. But I, I disagree with that. I mean, I think, I mean, I think that's a negative for the for the lender. I think. Oh no, I don't think so at all. I mean, the lender, uh, the the the, uh, the the government can abuse the power. Of course, it can it can, it can cause inflation to be so high that but that to, borrowers that lenders no longer wish to be repaid in yeah those. But but. <laughs> You know the it it, it, it reduces it, the it reduces the risk of absolute default, but it it creates the risk of of a implicit default. It seems to me that the the but more from f- the from the perspective of the individual lender, it China. Does not, it, you think China is comforted by the fact that the U.S. can print money when uh, it lends it money? Uh, I think it goes yeah. the other way. I think China is anxious mm-hmm. as they and they've explicitly said so that there's a temptation on the part of the U.S. government to inflate the debt away and i think it's a very actually a real a very real risk well they're still lending money to it they're still That's buying true. they're still buying american bonds i mean i i, I think from the and, and and perhaps i have to thought through this perhaps there's a difference between uh very very large lenders acting as a single entity such as a for a major foreign government yeah. and in the, but i think at the individual lender level the individual uh, who goes out? When I go and buy a treasury, well. I, I think the fact that the government has access to a printing press at the margin makes uh, it more attractive. But I thought you were going to attractive say, you to, to to lend. What I thought you were going to say is that its ability to tax. Which well, it I has that. The, it, it, I think that's the real it, it comfort. Ha- uh, unfortunately, it, it has it has that as well, of course, and that yeah. that adds to it too because. Uh, it, 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 but but even that you can it it, it can be abused if the tax power. Much like the inflation power, if it's overextended, uh, then you know the, the government can be uh, thrown out of power. Oh, the, the economy or, can collapse. None, none of these things is, is, is guaranteed. But yes, the power to tax, uh, the power to issue money, created de novo at the margin, at least for the, uh, relatively small lenders, makes lending to the government more attractive than otherwise. Okay, so let's now turn to uh, Buchanan's insights into this. Um, Buchanan, in nineteen fifty-eight, wrote a book called "Public Principles of Public Debt," which uh, took what I would—I had not read the book until recently. We, 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 uh, Don and I talked about this podcast topic and got me to to read some of the book. Uh, and Don's written about a Cafe Hayek, our blog together, and I'll uh, we'll put up some links to that uh, to those posts. The what I think is creative, uh, in a way, it's kind of so straightforward. It's you could argue it's not creative, but it, it sometimes it's hard to see things that are out in the open. What what Buchanan's done in that book, and uh, we have we'll put a link up to it. It's the entire book will be uh, is up at um, is up online at the um, at Econ Live at Econ Live uh, at no charge. Um, it, it's a very short book. Mm-hmm. It's a very dense book. He thinks very carefully oh, yeah. and slowly about this. Very it's only about 160 pages in print, but it's it's you know, complicated. It's about it's 800 pages in, <laughs> in thinking. Yeah, in thinking, yeah. yeah I got to read it a few times. I read it very slowly. Um, <clears throat> but what I think is useful about his approach, 
and and quite important and striking is he very explicitly rejects the notion that uh, the national government borrows and repays borrows money and repays that money uh, as if it were a single individual because we know uh, we're a nation of, of different individuals and the people who lend the money, the people who get the government spending, the people who pay back the money, and the people who receive that payback are all different people, um, different groups of people. And um, so Buchanan's simple point in a way is that you have to take that into account. You can't just say uh, we owe it to ourselves. Uh, and I think – You, you, there's you, no can't, you can't get misled by Keynesian aggregates yeah. is what he's saying. Yeah, yeah. there's no ourselves uh, yeah. there. there. There's different groups within our country that, that borrow the money and pay it back and receive it. And I think um, – although there are, I think, very little in the first part of the book that is explicitly about Keynesianism, there is an implicit Keynesian aspect to this, which is that in, in to some extent in the Keynesian view, aggregates are what matter uh, and things wash out because of that. Whereas in the Buchanan view, and I would say my view and yours – uh, they don't wash out all the time. So let's let's go through that. So let's start with Buchanan's argument of, of <clears throat> a government. Again, we we don't. I don't think to start with we don't have to distinguish between what kind of government spending it is. Let's walk through who pays who pays for it and who and who uh, who gets the benefit. Uh, yeah, let's as, let's assume uh, that the government spending is regarded by uh, everyone as being justified. Right. So no matter what that might be, it's it's justified. Buchanan, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, in 1958 was reacting against the uh, what was then a, a fairly new theory of public finance. He, he called it the new orthodoxy, uh, and it emerged in the 1930s, uh, right along with Keynesian economics. And it served, although it was probably not strictly necessary for Keynesianism, it certainly served the Keynesian agenda, uh, and people who accepted it. Uh, it, it, it were Keynesians. They they bought into it. Uh, because if you bought into it, and I'll explain in just a moment what, what the it is, well, if you bought into it, uh, it it made you less, you didn't worry about uh, debts that you encouraged the government to to undertake. So the the it, this this new orthodoxy, the, the, the new theory of public finance that emerged in the 1930s, was that uh, uh, be, because the debt doesn't come due until sometime in the future, uh, uh, to the extent that that debt is payable to people within the same political community that undertook that debt, then the debt is not a burden. That is uh, Americans in the case that most of – Yeah, so let's talk, let, let, let's, let's so talk about America. Lend, so, as, as long as the borrower – the lenders are Americans, people who buy the treasury notes are Americans. If So so with, so with because it's so important in Keynesian economics for the government to be able to borrow, you know, functional finance, uh, and because prior to Keynes, there was, for better or worse, there was uh, – certainly in the economics profession – uh, a bias against a, a, govern, a government indebtedness in peacetime. Uh, 
the Keynesians had to, to, at least psychologically, to get rid of that, you know, because we have to be able to go into debt uh, even during peacetime uh, in, in many occasions. Uh, and the Keynesians then were able to say, look, because we borrowed, because the debt is owed to people in the future, and because those people are citizens of the same country we belong to, it's no problem. Uh, we owe it to ourselves. That was the famous phrase that justified the debt. So it's not, it's not a burden. Um, Buchanan said nonsense. Buchanan said, look, let's look at the individuals involved here. We have citizens slash taxpayers who somehow p- participate in the political process. We have politicians who obviously participate in the political process. We have lenders. Well, these will be people who buy government bonds, lend money to the government. Uh, and then we have future taxpayers, uh, people whose tax bills will rise when the debts come due. And we have and, – and, and, and the bond holders, they can be either the same people who lent the money today or they can be the, the – Heirs of the bondholders, or the people they sold the bonds to. The people they sold the bonds to. That's just that's just confusing. I think the other there's one other group, which is the people who benefit from the and the people who and the people who 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 benefit. So, which could be the nation as a whole if we're fighting off an invader, or it could be uh, the friends of. So let's take let's take let's take a war the war example, which is the example most people would regard as you know the most justifiable use of of debt when the threat is real and imminent. We all believe it's real and imminent. So government today borrows a trillion dollars to fight off. Uh, an invading enemy because it doesn't have the liquidity today. Uh, private lenders, uh, and let's assume they're all American. Lend- yeah, we're going to take the we're going to play within the Keynesian rules as much as we can here. Right? So the borrowers, people who bought, there no foreign holders of U.S. debt in this story. Yeah, 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 yeah. So Americans lend voluntarily a trillion dollars to Uncle Sam. Uh, Uncle Sam spends that money effectively in in winning. The war, America survives. The debt comes due 30 years from now. Uh, all the holders of the bonds are Americans. Uncle Sam honors its debt commitment. It raises taxes or reduces spending. Let, let's assume it raises yeah, I think that's taxes. That. Um, the story is not fundamentally different. It raises taxes 30 years from now to pay off the debt. Uh, so some Americans have to pay or Americans in one capacity have to pay higher taxes. Americans in another capacity receive the, the, the principal and interest on the debt that Uncle Sam took out 30 years earlier. Buchanan says, even though we might agree, even though we do agree in this case, that the debt was justified, it the, is still the, a burden. And the people, and this is the crucial part, the people who bear the burden of that debt are the future taxpayers, the taxpayers 30 years hence, whose taxes rise in order to pay off the debt. The fact that, number one, the beneficiaries of the the, the debt holders 30 years from now are citizens of the same country, the people who pay the debt, that's irrelevant. That doesn't mean there's no burden to the debt. Uh, The fact that the resources to fight the war were, of course, uh, contributed and literally consumed uh, 30 years ago does not mean that the people who contributed those resources voluntarily bear the burden of the debt. Those are the bondholders. They chose to lend the money 
to Uncle Sam in return for uh, in, 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 in additions to their financial portfolios that, in their view, made them better off. Th- them better off. So they they're not they're not the ones who who are bearing the burden of the war. The burden has to fall somewhere, and it falls on the people who pay off the debt. And those people are the future taxpayers. The uh, the nationalities of the bondholders when the tax when the when the debt is redeemed is utterly irrelevant. The burden is shifted to the future, and it's not re- and and it's real. <laughs> it's not reduced just because number one, it doesn't exist today at the time the debt's taken out, and number two, contrary to what the Keynesians say and contrary to what Krugman says, it's not reduced uh, just because or or disappears to the extent that. The bondholders are citizens of the same country as the taxpayers whose taxes rise to pay the debt. So I think in the Buchanan story, the way to see it is that uh, the bondholders, the people who lent the money to the United States, and obviously some of them die, they have heirs, and that just that just confuses things again. That's not relevant. So let's assume mm-hmm. – let's have a – make an unrealistic assumption for the sake of understanding the underlying economics. Mm-hmm. Let's assume they're all still alive. Mm-hmm. Uh, when the debt comes due, it might let's, it might be a five year bond. Yeah, some of them be will be. Yeah. Some yeah. of them will be. Yeah. Otherwise, they're heirs. So they're they're better off mm-hmm. slightly by the the attractiveness of this opportunity to lend the money relative to other opportunities to lend money. That's right. The the people today are uh, who receive the benefits of the government spending. You they're not killed in the war as a result. Or it could be that they have better bridges and roads. And we can even say the people in the future who pay that. I'm going to get still, to that. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it could be these benefits extend over time yes. because we're not enslaved. In our example, a, I would assume they do. Yeah, they're not yeah. enslaved by a foreign power or mm-hmm. they get to enjoy the bridges that were built. Right. Um, the special interest payoff is a different, slightly different story. We, well, we could talk about that later, but you can work that yeah. through at home as yeah. an exercise. Um, so whatever those benefits were, which we think are huge, mm-hmm. we're not disputing the – value of the benefits, it's clear who pays for them. It's in one dimension. It's a little unclear, but in one dimension, it's clear who pays for them. The people who have to finance the taxes to pay back uh, the the bonds plus interest. Oh, I think it's completely clear who pays for it, and it's those people. Well, I want to say – the reason I want to say it's not so clear, Mm -hmm. here's why I want to say it's not so clear. And this is a confusion that may be unproductive. We'll see how it goes. when the and this is why this is such a difficult topic, when the government in the present convinces would-be savers to give their money to the oh, government in the form of bonds, mm-hmm. other things don't take place. Mm-hmm. And if the government were to say, "We are not going to fight this war," mm-hmm. those other things would take place, and. Some of those investments would be productive, and so that those resources today. Yes, I, I, that, that, that's true. But that's true. That it, that would, that's true for any economic decision taking, whether it be political or, or or private. So I think the right I think the right comparison is to talk about a war financed by taxation mm-hmm. today versus debt, which is mm-hmm. as Milton Friedman would like mm-hmm. always would point out. That's just. Taxation tomorrow. You, mm-hmm. you're, you can call it debt, but mm-hmm. when you when government finances its activities, it's either financing them via taxes today or taxes tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And Friedman used to always say, and I think it's 
in agreement with Buchanan. Oh, yeah. It doesn't it, – it sounds on the surface like it contradicts it, but, but it doesn't. I think it's the same point. Yeah. What Friedman used to say is if you're debating uh, government activity, don't be fooled by whether it's financed by debt or taxes. Just look if it's worthwhile. Mm-hmm. If it's fighting a war to save us from destruction – it's worthwhile whether you finance it out of taxes today or taxes tomorrow. It might make sense to do it out of taxes tomorrow, but certainly it's a good idea. If you're doing it to build bridges to nowhere or dig ditches and fill them back in, uh, you are – it doesn't matter whether you finance them out of taxes today or taxes tomorrow. It's still a bad idea. The, 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 what Freeman's saying is the full cost of – the cost of government activity – Today is the amount of money government spends today, not the amount of explicit tax revenue it takes in today. It's measured by spending and not and, taxing. And that borrowing doesn't somehow allow you to have a free lunch. That's right. right? So, yeah. so let's let's walk through that a little slower to make sure uh, that's right, or at least that it, we're comfortable with it. Because the alternative facing this terrible war, instead of borrowing the money, mm-hmm. we could have said, folks. Uh, this is really bad. I mean, we can think of two two mm-hmm. ways to 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 uh, finance a war. Uh, we could uh, we can think of three ways. Excuse me, three ways. The way we just talked about, which is we're going to borrow the money, take the borrowed money, and buy stuff with it to fight the war. Mm-hmm. We could, which which is quote voluntary on the surface because it's taken from people who choose to buy the bonds. The involuntary part comes on the people who have to pay it back. Which is an important point that we should no, get to. No, it's huge. Yeah, We're yeah, going to come yeah, back to the politics because yeah, that's yeah. part of the political yeah, yeah, yeah. incentives that are yeah. that are at play here. But it, it looks voluntary, but it's the same involuntary thing. You just push the involuntary You've, part to the future. That's exactly right. Alternatively, we say, folks, bad news. We're about to be attacked. Uh, we're going to have to uh, take, tax, 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 raise tax. the taxes by a trillion dollars this and, year. And that's going to be painful means less private consumption. And the only difference between those two is which Americans end up paying the price. It'd be a slightly different group, which is one of the reasons the political incentives. But note, in both cases, in both cases, the people cost. paying the cost of the war are the taxpayers. Are the taxpayers. Just different points the in fact, time. It's right. The fact that the taxpayers who pay it in the, in the borrowing case are in the future and the taxpayers who pay it in the taxation case or in the present does nothing to change the fact that the burden falls on the taxpayers. Okay, so now the third way, which I'm going to begin, there's there's a fourth way too, but I'm going to start, maybe I'll stop. We can skip money creation. No, I'm not, I'm getting away from that. I'm not, that's not my third or fourth, that's the fifth way. That's again, a different kind of tax. It's an implicit tax. Yeah, it doesn't change the fundamentals of the story. But here's a third way. The government could expropriate private resources. Mm -hmm. It could say, uh, one of the things that well, we well, that's a form of taxation. Just I know, dip, but I just want to yeah. it, there. It's very clear who the burdens are. Yes, yes. The, the government could say, uh, "We're going to. We need transportation in this war. We need to move troops around, and we need to fly airplanes." So, yeah. Yeah. U.S. airline, U.S. Airways, Southwest, we're we're coming to you. We're taking all your planes. Mm-hmm. Um, to hell with the Third Amendment. We're going to quarter soldiers in your house, right? Yeah. And we're going to steal all the buses. All in your cars are all going to become government. Now, everybody would understand in that case. You wouldn't say, "Well." Well, there's no burden because we have the cars that we all we still own our cars. We all understand that whatever those cars and buses and trains produced for us in benefits, as you said before, it might be worthwhile yeah. to use them to fight this terrible external enemy. We would never want to say, well, it's free because we own the cars. We still own our cars. That the people getting the benefit from the 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 um, uh, 
uh, seizing of Southwest Airlines and the seizing of private homes and hotels to quarter soldiers or and Americans. Cars. Yeah. Uh, that doesn't make it free. Yeah. yeah well, we, 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 we seized it from ourselves. No one would say, well, oh, that makes it go away. That makes the no burden cost. go away. We seized yeah. it from ourselves. Now, and it's clear what the real cost is. The real cost are those private benefits and pleasures we get, would have had from travel and, and, and comfort in our homes, et cetera. Right. And, and by the way, the same thing with, with food. We got to pay for the food to, for the soldiers. Yeah, so we're, yeah, yeah. we're, we're coming to the farms and we're taking your yeah, crops yeah. and all that does is change who pays for it. It doesn't change the fact that there's a, a burden of it or that there's a That's price exactly to be paid. Right. Yep. Now, and we could, most people would argue, well, we got to spread the burden widely because we're all getting the benefits yep. of this security from this And that would, be, that would be true. That would be correct. And so, therefore, it's not right to just punish people who already own cars, happen yeah. to own airplanes. Let's spread the burden. And, and by is, the, that, that's why this is just compensation uh, requirement in the Fifth Amendment's takings clause, for example. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, so I think we've made some progress. Now we're ready to. Did, did, did you admit, uh, list all the ways to pay for it? Uh, we could ask for donations. Was the way I was thinking. Uh, we could ask people to voluntarily uh, give. Oh yeah, in which case they would they would they would be the payers. They would be the payers, yeah. and I think the in the background of all of our conversation, which both Keynesians and uh, classical economists, and I would put you and I Buchanan in the classical camp in this case, yes, pre nineteen thirties view mm-hmm. of debt. Um, what everybody agrees on is that there were some distortionary effects that might differ across these different methods. Uh, the form of taxation matters, whether the tax system is is uh, well-designed. or there, there are extra costs from yeah. that, yeah. but we also all agree that that's relatively small compared to what we're, what we're talking about. Yes. Okay. You want to say anything else before we go on? I have a new – I want to switch no, no, gears here. Okay. So now I'm going to – this is we're, – we're 49 minutes into this. And um, now we get perhaps to the hardest part, which is I'm going to take a, a, a quote from Paul Krugman mm-hmm. and see if we can apply what, what our claims are so far and see if we can disagree with him in a, in a useful way. So Krugman explicitly in a column that was written uh, January 1st, 2012. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jan- in the January 2nd edition of the oh, Times. That's uh-huh. right, yeah. Right, it was online on January yeah. 1st, but it came out in print January yeah. 2nd. I know the column well. <laughs> yeah, Don's written on it, uh, and I've been chewing on it since he got me to think about it. Here, here's what he wrote, and then what I want to try to do, just to sketch out the rest of our conversation, I, I want to try to address the Krugman point, and then I want to go to the really large picture issue of sovereign debt generally and whether we're in a crisis or not, which it seems like we are in some dimension. Mm-hmm. Uh, Greece is still embroiled as, as – mm-hmm. We record this in some serious problems. Spain and Italy seem to have problems. And a lot of people say, well, that doesn't apply to the U.S. Other people say, oh, my gosh, we're going down the same path. And yeah, John, we- John Taylor, for example, is worried that we're, we're right. not there yet, but close to it. I'm a little worried about it myself. Mm-hmm. Um, so here's the Krugman quote, <clears throat> and it applies perfectly to what we've been talking about. He just has a different view. Uh and, and by the way, those of you who um, who written me, I appreciate it. You encouraged me to have Paul Krugman as a guest. I am eager to have Paul Krugman as a guest. I prefer to have Paul Krugman defend himself uh, than have to read him. Uh, I've invited him. He has not responded. It could be he's not interested. It could be he's never gotten my emails. If anybody knows him out there and wants to encourage him to come on, be happy to have him. I'm sure it would be lively and interesting. We'd both learn a lot, or at least I would. So, um, But here's Paul Krugman's words. He would too. Oh, who knows? Uh, I would not presume. Here's the quote. 
deficit worriers portray a future in which we're impoverished by the need to pay back money we've been borrowing. They see America as being like a family that took out too large a mortgage and will have a hard time making the monthly payments. This is, however, a really bad analogy in at least two ways. First, families have to pay back their debt. Governments don't. All they need to do is ensure the debt grows more slowly than their tax base. The debt from World War II was never repaid. It just became increasingly irrelevant as the U.S. economy grew and with it the income subject to taxation. Second, and this is the point almost nobody seems to get, an overborrowed family owes money to someone else. U.S. debt is, to a large extent, money we owe to ourselves. This was clearly true of the debt incurred to win World War II. Taxpayers were on the hook for a debt that was significantly bigger as a percentage of GDP than debt today, but that debt was also owned by taxpayers, such as all the people who bought savings bonds. So the debt didn't make post-war America poorer. In particular, the debt didn't prevent the post-war generation from experiencing the biggest rise in incomes and living standards in our nation's history, close quote. Now, before we talk about it, I'm going to let people chew on that quote. You might want to rewind and, and hear it again. It's a long quote. I apologize for the length of it, but I wanted both to be fair to him and to – it just so perfectly captures the alternative view uh, to what Don and I have been talking about. But I want to just reemphasize mm -hmm. his points. First is that governments don't – he makes two points. The first is that government doesn't have to pay back its debt. It can roll it over. And the second is is that it's not harmful. There's no burden because we owe it to ourselves to the extent that U.S. taxpayers are the holders of the debt rather than foreigners. And and again, I want to give him the benefit of the doubt mm -hmm. and assume that that's still that's not literally true. But it is to a large. No, the extent. argument he's making is that is is, is that the, the, he admits that his argument in that part of it applies when the debt is internally held. Yeah. Yeah. So, and it, I, what's wrong with him? What's I, wrong with that argument? Is he wrong? Yes. Why? Uh, well, first of all, let's let, let's let's just you didn't point this out, but it is true, of course, that the debt incurred uh, to fight World War II did not prevent America from growing economically. Right. Well, again, just because a debt has a burden does not mean that it's not worthwhile. Just because an expenditure has a cost does not mean that expenditure wasn't worthwhile. Yeah, I, I, well, I, that and, argument and, 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 is and, shocking and, and to also. Me. I, that part of it is really yeah. Well, strange. and also you know this is this is a uh, you know sort of a, a also post hoc uh, fallacy in yeah. a way. Uh, Correlation isn't causation. The, 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 we, you could have someone here who, who makes a strong. I mean, let's 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 assume someone said you know these expenditures were completely wasteful, uh, and yet America grew. Therefore, uh, uh, these wasteful expenditures weren't uh, wasteful. Were, were in fact not wasteful. Uh, you know the. Maybe America would have grown even more. Right. That's the problem. Uh, right. I mean, so that that that, that that's. But we can forgive him that. It's a, you know, it's, it's a column for a newspaper. We all write we write sloppy things. Or simplified things. Simplify things. The well, some of us. I, I write sloppy things sometimes, which I regret. <laughs> um, the, the 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 heart of that claim is that because, or to the extent that we owe it to ourselves, it's not a real burden. That's that is a mistake. This is the claim that Buchanan. Uh, so carefully examines and exposes as fallacious in many of his writings, most notably in the book that uh, you'll, you'll put you'll put online. And he wrote, Buchanan wrote in 1958. Um, by the way, uh, and I've I've searched his blog and I've looked at his columns. I see no evidence that that Krugman 
even acknowledges Buchanan's contributions. Uh, Buchanan may be wrong. I, I think he's right, but, but perhaps Buchanan is wrong. If, but, but in, 19, in 2012, uh, unlike, say, in 1957, it, you cannot make the claim that Krugman makes as if it is an established uh, uh, indisputable truth that only uh, you know, untrained economists uh, disagree with. Disagree yeah. with. Yeah. You have to deal with Buchanan's argument. You have to show why Buchanan – is mistaken, and that Krugman doesn't even attempt to do, as, as far as I can tell. Maybe he's well, done it else, elsewhere. Well, but, but he doesn't need to because it's obviously he's going to – Well, the way it. he dismisses it, he dismisses it in that – at least in his newspaper column and on his blog. He dismisses the Buchanan view as – As if it's a fundamental – as if it's a flat earth kind of claim. Yeah, it's irrelevant. Right. Uh, so uh, the – the yes, to the – if, if – American A has her taxes raised so that American B uh, has his bond redeemed with those taxes. The uh, money stays in America, but that doesn't mean there's no burden to that debt. The taxes are still raised. Krugman will admit there's a slight, as the pre, as the Keynesians admitted, there is a slight burden. You know the the distortionary effects of having to raise marginal tax rates, yeah. right? Uh, no one denies that, but the the absolute amount of money paid from A to B d- does not disappear as a burden just because B is a citizen of the same country as A, and that is what Krugman is suggesting. Um, so here's why the here here's why the here's where the politics comes in. Let's now let's get away from the war thing because we all agree that war is. Is 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 necessary if you're under a threat of imminent invasion? Uh, oh yeah, 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 yeah. Well, that's right. yeah, yeah, pardon me. Yeah, certainly, necessary. there are a lot. Of, a, I think, <laughs> I think much of Uncle Sam's belligerence uh, to pick is, a better, is, well, is wasteful. But to pick a better example, um, I'll take the example of uh, the Krugman. It's actually, like st- stimulus, stimulus spending. No, no, no. I don't want to take. Right. I, I, I want to take a. Uh, you know, th- there's an asteroid about to hit the United States, and and so. And if it hits, everybody understands on its current path, it's going to devastate 330 million people, kill them, and destroy all our stuff. So uh, we've got to build a, a complex set of activities to shoot it down out of the sky. Uh, 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 let's back up for a moment. His claim can be dismissed this easily, right? The resources had to be spent to fight the war. Resources have to be spent to, to, to destroy the asteroid. Resources have to yeah. be spent – uh, for corn subsidy, resources have to are being spent today with borrowed money. That money has to be repaid. That the need to repay is a burden. It's not reduced as a burden just because uh, it's funded with money borrowed today and taxes put off in the future. Would Krugman say? I suspect he would not. But would he say? Let, let, let's suppose the war were funded out of current taxes. Going back to your previous example. You wouldn't say, "Oh, we're paying those." We said this. We're paying those taxes to ourselves. Therefore, these people who worry about the cost of the war—they're absurd because most of that, that money's being being paid to us. It's still a cost. Again, it may be worthwhile. Right? We can agree that it's worthwhile. That doesn't mean it's not costly. It doesn't mean it's not a burden on the people who pay the tax. And this is the problem when because current taxpayers, current participants in the political process, by being able to borrow through government are able to consume more today than they otherwise could. Oh, I get to have 
I get to have whatever goodies government's going to give me without today, without my taxes or anyone else's taxes rising today, then that creates an incentive because we all like to spend other people's money. That creates an incentive to spend more today, right? So at some level, the, uh, the fact that the burden can be pushed off to other people, particularly people who aren't voting now, they're being, they're voting only in the future if they vote at all. Uh, and if they can even identify themselves, well, they, uh, yeah. that, that creates, uh, a, a, a not logically necessary, but it creates a politically likely scenario in which the government today does spend more money than otherwise. It does use up more resources today on projects today that it would not otherwise engage in if those projects had to be funded out of current taxes. Because they don't have to be funded out of current taxes, then government spending rises higher than it would otherwise rise. You cannot say that the cost of those programs, whether they're necessary or not, disappears just because taxpayers in the future will be the ones who see their tax bills rising in order to pay off the debts when the bonds come to be redeemed. Right? And that's what Krugman wants to say. He says, oh, you people are so dumb. You don't realize that, you see, uh, we're paying it to ourselves, so it's not a real cost. Again, it's easy to see when you recognize it. You, you wouldn't say that out of, if, if, the, if the programs are being funded out of, out of current tax. You would say, oh, there's no real cost. There's no real cost to this program because, you see, we're taxing some Americans – and giving the proceeds to other Americans. So it's, it's not costly. It, it's, it's, it, of course it's costly. Um, and it's the, the cost is being paid by the people who have to pay higher taxes. It makes no difference at all whether those ta- taxpayers are existing and paying the taxes in the current fiscal period or if they're paying the taxes, if they exist and paying the taxes in future fiscal periods. So the way they I- are the ones who pay. And the burden is no lower. In fact, it's probably higher because the incentives for government to spend more money today are raised due to the fact that the cost can be pushed off into the future. So the way I see it, I think that's beautiful, but here's the way I I would suggest to challenge Krugman's view and um, really hope Mr. Krugman responds maybe in the comments section if he doesn't want to be a guest on the program. or some of his friends will, I'm sure. So I invite people who think he's right to to comment on this podcast uh, in the comment section. But the way I think about it is it is a danger. It's a slippery slope of intellectual reasoning to say we owe it to ourselves because on the surface, it would seem to justify any size of government spending uh, because there's no burden. So for example, uh, let's say it would cost a trillion dollars to fight uh, the um, to fight off the invaders or the, destroy the asteroid or whatever it is, so a trillion. Mm-hmm. But let's suppose the government decides, out of political reasons, to spend four trillion, mm-hmm. <laughs> to make a much bigger uh, effort against the asteroid. Turns out to be a mistake. It, it isn't necessary. It turns out we could have just spent a trillion, but but we while we're borrowing, let's 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 borrow four trillion. And, and, and this is why I don't This is why. See, if, if people believe the Krugman view, then they're more likely to accept that because to the extent that the electorate thinks, oh, well, it's not a real cost because we owe it to ourselves, then 
Why would they care how much government spends? Right. Oh, if it's not a real cost because you owe it ourselves, then by, by all means, uh, reduce that risk even further by right. spending not just one right. trillion, right. but four trillion. Why not 40 trillion? Because we all owe it to ourselves. It's not really costly. And if the government borrowed enough money as each individual borrower decides whether it's worthwhile or not. And one of the complications we've left out here, which I suspect would be part of Krugman's defense if he were here or someone else's defense, is that interest rates are going to perhaps be different if you went to borrow uh, $4 trillion versus $1 trillion. You'd have to pull resources out of uh, private sector uh, the buyers of the bonds to induce them to buy four trillion, you'd have to offer maybe a higher interest rate than if you did than you would if you were only doing a trillion. I worry that that complicates things. But put that to the side. If the government goes and borrows four trillion, uh, that means there's less stuff that's created today. Uh, if they requisition not just the airplanes for the war, but the cars too, just in case, you wouldn't say, well, because we're going to pay back, say. Uh, the car owners – suppose we borrow the money to buy the cars mm -hmm. from the private sector rather than confiscate them. So if we borrow – again, three methods. We can borrow the money today to buy the cars from people so that we use, have them for the war. It turns out they're not necessary. It's totally right. unproductive. Right. We could tax people today to finance the money to buy the cars mm -hmm. or we could just confiscate we the cars. In all three cases, we don't get the benefits of using the cars. We hope that it's the – there's a future – there's a benefit from defending ourselves, but if it's a mistake – if it turns out that we shouldn't have taken the cars out of circulation and all they did was sit around in government parking lots, you wouldn't want to say, well, if we used borrowing to finance them, then it didn't cost us anything. It obviously cost us the fact that we can't have our cars. The people who would pay for it would be different. In the confiscation case, it's the people who own the cars. In the current taxation case, it would be the people who are paying taxes today. And in the debt case, it's people who are paying taxes tomorrow. Those are the people who finance the, the use of cars in the war. You wouldn't want to say there's no burden. Look, if if take a, take a simpler case, suppose the government just uh, it's a new transportation policy, the government uh, just requisitions cars from people in the top fifty percent and gives those cars to people in the bottom fifty percent, right? So we're just giving it to ourselves. Yeah. Right? Now, you can think it's a good policy, and I I, I will concede for argu for argument's sake here that let's assume it is a good policy. God dictates it's a good policy. So we all agree it's a good policy. That does not mean that that policy has no uh, – does not cost Americans. It costs, it, it costs the people whose resources are confiscated. It costs the car owners who know, whose titles to those cars and ability to use those cars are stripped from them. And the fact that the cars are given to other Americans does nothing to reduce the, 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 the burden uh, uh, of those people who have to pay for the policy. I don't know if that's a good example or not. I don't know if I agree with that. Um, I agree with your point, uh, but I, I would argue that's probably different than what we've been talking about in that that's a reallocation. The total, at least you could argue correctly that the total number of cars hasn't changed in the United well, States. Well, but, but well, so let, me, let me extend it. Right? If, if government had this power to, to do this kind of requisitioning, right? Yeah. What, what, what would happen to the amount of requisitioning that it does? And then what would happen? Well, that, that, that's, that's, no, no, that's, no, 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 no. That's, yeah, that's, 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 that's the marginal tax point, right? Right. But, yes. Uh, but the, the only the point of my example here, right? I agree, it's a little bit different than the, than the death thing. But the point of my example here is 
is, is sim- simply, to, simply to point out that just because the person who is taxed, in, in my example, a car is taken from him or her, uh, is a citizen of the same country as a person who gets the proceeds of that tax, the other American who gets the, the keys and the title to the car. That does not mean that there's no there's no burden that, that Americans in, in in fact pay no uh, uh, there's no cost to this program. There is a cost. It's borne by the people who lose their cars. Yeah, but I think I think Krugman agree, would agree with you there. Uh, I, think, I don't think he, well. <clears throat> I think to be consistent, he, he he wouldn't. He's saying that that there's no burden uh, up, up, except for the marginal. You know the the marginal tax point, the marginal tax rate point. There's no burden when, in the future, uh, future taxpayers uh, are taxed in order to pay future bondholders. What's the difference? The the fact. Okay, they're in the future. So, no, I think he'd. I think he'd say. Um, well, let me. Let me. I, 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 I think he would not. He clearly does not want the two. Uh, and we're picking on Krugman here. This is the view held by a lot of people pr- prior to when Buchanan wrote. Uh, Krugman's just resurrected it. He does not want the two to be the same, but I think they are the same uh, in, in, in important respects. Not in all respects, but in the essential respect that just because the people who have resources confiscated are citizens of the same country to whom those confiscated resources are transferred uh, does, not, uh, does nothing to reduce the burden of the program. Well, I'm not sure, but the point I want to make is um, – and we're short of time. I want to try to close out here, and I, w- I want to try to make a, a slightly different point that I think gives Krugman his due and I think keeps his – that viewpoint cons- – I think it's consistent in a way you're – that you, you've suggested it's inconsistent. And I <clears> – <throat> this, this is um, – I, I think fundamentally – what the defenders of of debt spending are saying today, and the sovereign debt issue, and we're going to put, we're not going yeah, to talk yeah, about. Yeah, yeah. Obviously, everybody agrees. Uh, people who want bigger U.S. government debt now, and those of us who are opposed to it, that if you make it too big, you could eventually risk uh, default. The debate right now is: is it too big now? Mm-hmm. And uh, you mm-hmm. could, there's arguments on both sides. You could argue mm-hmm. that we're in perilous waters. You can argue there's nothing to worry about. That's I'm going to. Wish we had time to talk about that. We don't. I want to make a different point. I think the fundamental reason that Kruger makes the argument he does and people like him who are arguing for bigger debt is that when they say there's no burden, I think fundamentally they're talking about aggregate demand. I think they're yes, saying – Yes, 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 yes. The reason yes, yes. there's no, quote, burden – Yes, I agree. – is that because they I, – I think – they're focusing in the, in the, I'm going to call him Keynesians. I'm going to get away from his poor Mr. Krugman. No, he's, Krugman wouldn't, he, he, he's certainly a Keynesian, but yeah, I, I, let's probably. talk about Keynesians generally. Keynesians are worried about aggregate demand, mm-hmm. and to that, and they're worried about spending. Mm-hmm. And those of us who are classical argue that that's uh, a misplaced emphasis, and maybe often wrong, but mm-hmm. certainly a misplaced emphasis. In that, while it is certainly true that in the future, when bondholders are repaid by taxpayers, there's no net change in aggregate demand then. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean it's it's free. Yeah, no. uh, and, and, and of course, where I think what is strange about that view uh, of the Keynesians is that it's also true today mm-hmm. that when we tax people today – excuse me, when, we, yes. when yes. we issue bonds today, 
We're taking money from one group of Americans and giving it to the others, the people who are hired by the government or use, who benefit from the government spending. In that sense, there's no – it's a wash on the mm-hmm. surface So in terms of aggregate demand. They have to argue that, well, the people who were lent the money were going to keep it in their mattress or some other, quote, unproductive thing. Um, and, and that's an interesting argument. We've had conversations with people about that before. But I think just fundamentally, intuitively, why – they ultimately look to the future and say, well, this is not a burden. It's because they're saying, well, aggregate demand is going to be preserved, yes, so the yes. economy is going to be healthy, yes, yes, and we're going to get back yes. on track. Yes, I agree with that. And, and and even if we concede both the centrality of aggregate demand in a Keynesian way, even if we and we can concede that it doesn't change when American A uh, has his taxes raised to pay American B, that does not – and I agree. I think that's what motivates a lot of this. They, by looking at aggregate demand – they say, oh, well, you know, because we owe it to ourselves, and there's no, there's no, uh, uh, there's no threat to the to the economy. Th- that may be true. That's a separate issue. That's an yeah, issue that's in macroeconomics, right. right? But it's very dangerous, um, particularly for someone who has a public uh, voice of the kind that Krugman has. It's very dangerous because because it's, it's wrong <laughs> to say Maybe. that the that. Uh, there's no that, – that, that debt owed to ourselves is not a real burden. It makes it appear as if to at least the careless listener, uh, it makes it appear as if someone like Krugman is saying, you know, it's not costless at all. If as, lo- as long as we borrow money from Americans and then tax Americans to pay that, then that somehow gives us an ability to get something for free. Uh, we we get it for free. We don't have to pay for it. Well, if you can, if if people believe you can get something free, you don't have to pay for it. Why not? You, you have. Why would you? Where's the budget constraint? Well, yeah. yeah. So let's come full circle, and we'll finish up here, mm-hmm. and let, let's try to take it back to the family level, which uh, Krugman does not want to do. Yeah. Don't don't accept. Yeah. Uh, we certainly. Um, and, and and my punchline. The reason I I don't like your car example is that. I think that's a reallocation of happiness and well-being among Americans, and you can debate whether that's good or just or whatever. And all I'm saying is costly. It has a cost. I understand, but I think yeah. see, I think the Keynesians would accept that. I think part of the confusion in this issue is definition of cost and definition of burden, and we've been we've given our implicit definition. We haven't explained it, it, it literally, it, 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 and I think part it of it is an intricate issue. But but what I here's why I'm going to cut through all that. And again, I want to talk about an expansion of government spending, not a reallocation mm-hmm. of existing private consumption. Mm-hmm. A family, a, the head of a family who goes into debt on uh, a get-rich scheme that is that is flawed. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I go out and I borrow uh, a huge amount of money to buy up a, a inventory of a product that I think is going to be a, a world changer. And it's a loser, mm-hmm. it turns out. And no one wants to buy it. You bought a warehouse full of chocolate-covered pickles. Yeah, exactly. That's a mistake. Yeah. And whether I fund that out of debt, with debt, that is future consumption, or I say to my family, we're going to move into a really small house and we're not going to be able to have any go out to eat. Mm-hmm. And our clothes, we're going to have to – nobody can buy clothes and you have holes in your socks and your shoes, too bad because – we're making an investment. We're going to be fabulously rich because mm-hmm. these chocolate-covered pickles are going to be a huge mm-hmm. success. It doesn't matter whether I borrow the money or whether I give up tax my consumption today. 
There's a cost to me. Yep. And all that really matters is whether chocolate-covered pickles are a hit. Yep. If they're a hit, it, I'm going to be – yep. it's only a question of when I pay for that investment. Yep. And I would argue the part where I think you and I both agree and where we disagree with the Keynesians is that if government goes out and does something gloriously productive, like save us from an, uh, an, an asteroid that's going to destroy us, it doesn't matter whether it's financed by taxes today or taxes tomorrow. If it's a good use of money, the only difference is right. who – Bears right. the burden right. of that. Right. right, But if it goes and buys chocolate-covered pickles because mm-hmm. it thinks those protect us from an asteroid, mm-hmm. it does, that's a bad example because they think it's, uh, it's going to improve the health of the nation. Uh, it doesn't matter whether it's taxed or borrowed. Mm-hmm. Right. It's a bad use of real resources today. Right. The, the, it, so it, it, so to, to, to put a codicil on that, the, the reason we should have a preference for funding government expenditures out of pro- current taxation rather than the future debt is because current taxpayers are a bit more likely, not perfectly so, a bit more likely than our future taxpayers to be uh, to, to monitor the quality the, of what the, the government the, spends the money on, the, the, yeah. the, the amount and the quality. Uh, and so, because to the extent that government pushes those t- burdens into the future, uh, it's released from fiscal constraints. Healthy fiscal constraints that would exist uh, would otherwise exist today if financing had to be made out of out of out of, out of current tax dollars, and then so the for people for, for Keynesians uh, to say that well, if the if it's pushed off in the future, it's not really a burden because if we owe it to ourselves, it's not really a burden. Uh, that makes the issue even worse we, pe- because then people today would say, oh well, in that case, we don't have to worry. We're, we're getting something for free. We're getting something that doesn't cost us as a group anything. So go for it. Chocolate covered pickles. Uh, let's let's go settle Pluto. I mean, it's it's all free. Before we close, I just want to raise one semantic issue and then an issue about expectations, something we haven't talked about. On the semantic issue, the reason I think that uh, Keynesians would agree with you about your car example is they say, well, sure, it's a burden on the people who uh, finance those, those transfers, but it's just a transfer. The total number of cars stays the same. And I, I agree with that. And that's why I think it's important to make a distinction between real resources that get used by government spending, regardless of how they're financed and whether they're productive is what matters, versus transfers. Now, a transfer of, say, just pure money – let's forget the car – is a pure money transfer, say, from rich to poor or politically unpowerful to politically powerful. That has disincentive effects uh, because the taxes have eventually have to be raised to pay for it. Everybody agrees with, with that. We may disagree about how large those, those disincentive effects are. Of higher tax rates, but I think it's important to distinguish between transfers versus versus uh, um, real spending, spending on real resources. Of course, if government transfers relentlessly large amounts from one group to another, the, the group that's losing their money is going to respond by not trying to accumulate as much. That's the disincentive effect that I think everybody respects. But I, I think the key in this this whole area, we talk about the burden. It, it's not the. I think the. The Keynesians would agree there's a burden on the people who lose the trans who are who are paying the taxes, but they'd say the net burden, the total effect is zero. And I think they'd be roughly right with the transfer payment, but not with real resources, not when we're building uh, a bridge or tanks or uh, other things that that mean we have less today. Well, you know, he, the, the, I, look, I don't want to go to the mat defending that particular example. But here we have a, a, a connection between some of Buchanan's most famous work and, and Gordon Tullock's, uh, some of Gordon Tullock's most famous work, his 1967 piece on, although he didn't use the term, on, on rent seeking. Uh, obviously, when you're transferring 
um, monetary claims, uh, at some point, those are going to be, tra- those are going to be, they're going to result in resource use. The problem with the, uh, it's not a burden if we owe it to ourselves, uh, discussion and language is that it conjures up in the image of people, uh, the, the wrong impression that if government borrows and if the holders of the debt are citizens of the same country, uh, in, in which that, uh, of the government that issued the debt, then, 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 then it's a free lunch. Then, yeah. then we, then we can pay for all these things. Uh, we can get all these things without anyone having to pay for it. It's not a burden. Um, and, 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 and the fact that, the fact that, um, you, that politicians are spending other people's money, and in this case, they're spending the money of people not even, many of whom are not even voting yet, that means they're going to overspend. That means that they will spend less prudently, uh, and they'll spend more than they would if the people who were enjoying the actual resource transfers had actually to pay for them directly. And that brings us to my the last point I want to talk about, which is expectations. Uh, we have not talked about the fact that people look ahead. Uh, they anticipate consequences in the future that might be set in motion today. The classic issue that's raised in this area is debated as Ricardian equivalents. And what that is often – Named after David Ricardo. David Ricardo. And what there are, people are often talking about there – is whether current taxpayers anticipating higher future taxes will offset the alleged stimulative effects of government spending by saving more to pay off their future taxes. And a lot of people are skeptical about that. But what I, what I, think, I think no one is skeptical about, and I just want to bring this in as a footnote to the political economy point you're making, I think a lot of future taxpayers are alive today and know who they are. Uh, I may have uh, agreed with you a little too quickly earlier on, obviously the big debate that's going on right now in America is that people look at large increases in government spending financed by debt and realize I'm not going to enter the discussion right now of whether how they respond today, but they're certainly aware of it. And part of the reason they're opposed to it is they do realize they're going to have to pay for it. Right. And with their, in a sense, what they're opposed to, to the extent that that's true, then they want to keep, then they, it proves Buchanan, they want to keep the level of spending and debt down because they know it's not a free lunch. Yeah, correct. Right? Uh, uh, and look, on the Ricardian equivalence point, I, I think it's become more of a historical – I think it's more of a sort of an intellectual curiosity than than a substantive point. I mean, it may be real in some sense. It may exist in some sense. I think in some sense it, it does exist. But it detracts from Buchanan's main point. The point is the whoever pays the taxes in the future – there will be taxes that are raised in the future to pay off the current debt. Right. It's possible for people today anticipating that and caring about their children and grandchildren to, in fact, then set aside more money today than they otherwise would and pass it along. In which case, in those particular instances, that burden is borne by people alive today and the people who write the checks just happen. They just happen to write, the people in the future just happen to be the ones who write the checks. Okay, and 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 they're just passing along wealth lent to them, given to them, bequeathed to them uh, by their prescient forebearers. But the reason that's not empirically important, I think, is that the very reason politicians so readily borrow and spend today is because people today don't want – they want the goodies today and they don't want to pay for them. Yeah, whether whether it's – it can end up being them or their children. It's further down the road. So it's there's some down. impulse to yes. push that down there. Yeah. 
My guest today has been Don Boudreau. Don, thanks for being part of Econ Talk. Always a pleasure. I'm indebted. This is Econ Talk, part of the Library of Economics and Liberty. For more Econ Talk, go to econtalk.org, where you can also comment on today's podcast and find links and readings related to today's conversation. The sound engineer for Econ Talk is Rich Goyette. I'm your host, Russ Roberts. Thanks for listening. Talk to you on Monday.